The one who's conquered it all. I love that phrase. The one who's conquered it all for us. And because he's done it for us, we too, in faith, walking with him, can conquer every every enemy. We can overcome every obstacle. I hope you know that. I hope you know that. We come together and we study his word and we sing his praises and we encourage one another all so that we will all understand that we can overcome all things through him. Amen. Welcome to everyone. So glad you're here this morning. So glad those of you who are online are able to join us as well for this Mother's Day. I hope it's a wonderful day of celebration for you moms. I hope those of you who have moms will give them a call and let them know how much you appreciate them. Some of us, our moms have gone on in days like this. You, you think back and you think about all that they gave. And well, you realize just how everything we have, someone else has poured into us. And so let's make this a wonderful day for our moms. I said in the earlier service that you've got Mother's Day and you've got Father's Day. And somehow Father's Day doesn't seem to measure up to Mother's Day. Have you noticed that? I'm not sure why, but a friend of mine said it's because mothers love us so much no matter what. Dads are more particular. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. If it is, maybe that's why. But happy Mother's Day to all you moms that are here and those of you watching online. We had a fantastic staff retreat. Thank you for praying for us. Had lots of fun together, but we had some really good moments as well. One of the things that came out was that it's important for our church, for the staff, for everyone in our church, to always preach the gospel in both word and deed. What is that gospel? You can read it when you walk into the foyer, and and there you see that brick wall behind the welcome desk. God is good grace is real, everyone's welcome. That's the gospel we want to preach, that God is good. He is for us, not against us. That's why he sent Christ to die on a cross, bearing our sins so that he could carry them away. That's why he went into the tomb and rose again from the dead, that he might defeat death for us. God is good. Grace is real, which means we give up on no one because God gives up on no one. That no matter what problem you face, the grace of God can change everything. We believe that. So we believe in people because we believe in God. That's the gospel. And everyone is welcome. You're a sinner. Are you welcomed? Well, I hope so because you fit right in. We're all sinners. We're all dependent on the grace of God. Everyone's welcome, whatever their background, whatever their need, whatever it may be. The gospel says you are welcome. God welcomes you. This church welcomes you. The gospel in word and deed. My prayer is that we as a church will shine forth that gospel. As I think by God's help we've been able to do, but yet more, yet more. God is good. Grace is real. All is well. Amen? Some of you are coming from life groups where You studied one of the most remarkable passages in the Gospels that really emphasizes the grace of God. Jesus meeting the woman of Samaria. He met her at the well, and there he led her into salvation. It's a remarkable story. 
And we're going to go to that same chapter, but not that same story this morning. I want to say, though, the reason I'm mentioning it, if, if you've not watched The Chosen, if, do you know what I'm talking about when I mentioned The Chosen? It's a series on the life of Christ. If you've not yet discovered The Chosen, you need to. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. If that doesn't bring clarity for you, call the church. It's a series of programs on the life of Christ it's going to be several series long. It's on the second series now. I think it's going to be six or seven. There is a segment on Jesus and the Samaritan woman. If you watch that and you don't cry, I doubt you're a Christian. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Seriously, it's powerful. And I'd strongly recommend that series to you. It brings, it brings the Gospels to light in a, in a way that will touch your heart, maybe even change your life. So that was the study today in life groups on John chapter 4, Jesus and the woman on the well, at the well. But interestingly, the chapter concludes with the story of Jesus and a prominent person, a royal official who was in desperate need himself. And in this story, we learn something about faith. We learn something about faith. We learn something about hope. We learn how hope can emerge into a strong, robust faith that gets us through life. And we all need that, don't we? I mean, the Christian life is largely a matter of living by faith, so we all need that. This passage that we're going to turn to gives really a subtle account of what you might almost call the stages of faith as it moves from that place of bare hope to settled conviction. So let's turn to John chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading in verse 46. It says, Once more Jesus visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea in Galilee. So this man is said at the end of the story to believe. He had some kind of faith leading up to the healing. Otherwise, why would he have gone to Jesus at all? But he had not yet become what you might call a believer until some things happened. And that's what I want us to look at. First, you notice his concern was not his own. That is, he wasn't concerned about his own welfare, but that of his son. So often the burdens that we face in life have to do with other people. 
It might be a child that we're worried about. I mean, I talk to parents who are so worried about the world their children are growing up in. It might be a brother or sister or a parent or a friend, but it's someone that you know, someone you love, you're concerned about them because they are threatened, maybe with death, or maybe they're threatened with some other circumstance or some other power that puts them in real jeopardy. That's what was happening to this man's son. And so he brings his request to Jesus, and of course, Jesus heals him. At least he healed him at that moment. Eventually, this boy is going to grow and he's going to die. He's not going to live forever. Jesus heals him, but he later dies. When you read in the Gospels about Jesus healing someone who's sick and maybe even raising them from the dead, it's important to realize that the text is not teaching us that we can expect that everyone who's sick, when we pray for them, they'll get better. Instead, it's teaching us that Jesus has power over death itself, and if he has power over the final enemy, he has power over every other. It's teaching us that Jesus Christ as Savior has conquered himself, not just death, but the second death, that we might live in the presence of God forever. Jesus is the Savior who defeats sin and death, which in the Bible they go together. And so there are loved ones in your life that you pray for, that you're burdened for, and maybe they're struggling with some illness, but it might be they're struggling with some sin. There's some shadow over their life, and you worry about them. And you bring that to Christ, and Christ hears. Christ answers as he does here. But this man, he's burdened for his son. So, so he hears about Jesus. Now, you understand Jesus is a carpenter from Galilee. He's a person of no real significance on the social scale. This man is a royal official. But he hears of Jesus, this young preacher. Some people called him a rabbi, not because he had studied under rabbis, but because he spoke of God like no one else had ever spoken of God. And when he laid his hands on people, they were healed. So this royal official, though he lives in this honor-shame culture where lowering yourself in public was a, a very difficult thing to do, this royal official decides his son needs help, and he's desperate, and he's not given to begging, but he decides he's going to seek out this young carpenter, this young rabbi, and he's going to beg him to heal his son. He's not accustomed to begging, but it's a desperate time, and so he comes and he begs Jesus. Now, you wouldn't say at this point he really has faith. I mean, he does, but it's an it's a emerging faith. It's an incipient faith. You might say it's like it's a hope that's driven by desperation. I mean, he doesn't know that Jesus is going to even, even listen to his request, let alone answer his request. But he comes to Jesus with that. And it's remarkable how often people in the Bible come to Jesus with that kind of determined hope. And it's amazing how often Jesus responds to it. It's not some high level of faith. It's just, I have need and I need God and I'm going to turn to God because where else can I turn? So you have 
a man covered with leprosy comes to Jesus and he says, falling at his feet, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me. And Jesus says, of course I'm willing. And he lay hands on him and he heals him. Or you have another man whose son has epilepsy. He's, he's controlled by dark spiritual forces and his father brings him to Jesus and says, if you can do anything, have mercy on us. Jesus says, if I can do anything, all things are possible to the one who has faith. And the man says, oh, I do believe, I do believe, help my unbelief. In other words, he's saying to the Lord, I'm, I don't believe, I don't believe, but I'm trying. That's really what he's saying. I have enough to come to you, but I, I, I'm struggling with doubt. Please help me. And Jesus delivers his son. It's amazing how gracious and kind the Lord is when somebody comes in desperate need. And I've seen that. You've maybe experienced it. I've experienced it. You come to God with nothing that looks like strong faith, but you need God. People come to God and say, God, I don't know if you hear me, and I don't know if you can help me, and I don't know if you want to help me, but I need help, and you're my only hope. We serve a God who answers that kind of prayer, and that's what this man comes to Jesus with. That's all he's got at this point. In fact, the way the Lord responds suggests that he really doesn't have a very strong faith at this point because the Lord seemingly brushes aside his request. He says, unless you people, he's referring to all the people gathered around, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And he directs that right to the man. So what he seems to be saying is, all you people, you're seeking signs and wonders, and you... You're seeking a sign. He seems to be saying to the man, you really don't have faith. Wow. It sounds almost like Jesus just brushing him aside. It's not interested in him, doesn't it? And you might wonder, why is it that there's such a big deal about not seeking a sign? I mean, the Lord sometimes gives signs. He gives signs in the Gospel of John. Why does the Lord continually turn us away from signs when he calls us to faith? When Ronald Reagan was president, he met with Mikhail uh, Gorbachev more than once to negotiate a reduction in nuclear weapons. During those meetings, Reagan used a Russian proverb that he had, been, that he had learned, and he brought it out again and again in his conversation with Gorbachev. So many times that Gorbachev finally got impatient. He just blurted out, and he said, you keep saying that. But he kept saying it because he wanted it to be very clear where he stood. The phrase in English was this, trust but verify. One of our members is from Russia, Galina Gortlib, and she came up to me after the first service when I told this story, and she said, oh, yes, we have that saying. And then she gave it to me in Russian. I got it on my cell phone. I thought maybe I'd be able to play it in a mic, but I don't think it would work. So I just give it to you in English. Trust, but verify. Reagan kept saying to Gorbachev, yes, trust, but verify. We have to be able to inspect all these nuclear sites. So let me ask you, what does it mean if you say trust, but verify? Does it mean you trust? 
No, actually it doesn't. What it means is you don't trust. Trust, but verify, because I really don't trust you. And of course, the Russians didn't really trust us. When we start looking for a sign, some or some experience that will confirm to us that God will answer our prayer, essentially we're saying, Lord, I trust you, but I want it verified. What we're saying essentially is, Lord, I really don't trust you. I really don't. I, I want some verification right here before I'm going to put my faith in you. And that's why the Lord is always telling us throughout the Gospels, he's saying faith, not faith in signs and wonders, not faith in some experience, but faith in me and faith in my word. So this man, when Jesus seems to brush him aside, he, he won't take no for an answer. He, he feels almost like his will will force his way through and overcome the Lord's resistance. And it seems to do just that because the Lord says, you won't believe unless you have signs and wonders. And he says, Lord, come before my son dies. And he gets the answer he wants. Jesus says, your son will live. At that moment, this man has a choice. This man has a choice. He has no sign. What he has is a promise. So will he believe the promise? Another way to put it is, will he put his faith in Jesus? Or will he be playing the trust but verify game? And according to the verse here, it says the man took Jesus at his word and departed. He goes home. He's accomplished uh, the mission he's, uh, he's set out for. He wanted Jesus to heal his son. Jesus said he would heal him. He'll take his word. This is a raw act of courage on his part to simply take the word of Christ and he departs. And of course, he finds out that his son was healed. That's faith. That's faith. Faith in the word of God. The way it feels is like this. You're in, you're in some desperate situation or maybe just some hard time. And you have a promise of God that, that you can cling to. But to hold to that promise, to act on that promise, to live as it's true, it feels like you're stepping out on a limb. And everything in you tells you that limb is going to break out from beneath you. Your whole body can feel it. You know it won't hold your weight. But... Lo and behold, it does. God is good to his promise. And when that happens to you time and again and again, that changes your life. That's what happened to this man. See, he believed the promise and he departed. Then he finds out Jesus really did heal his son. Then his faith is confirmed and he becomes a believer. He and his own household. That's how you grow in faith. You can't think your way into faith. You don't memorize scripture your way into faith. You live it out and you live your way into faith by stepping out on that limb and trusting God. One time, Linda and I were on our porch with the Bible open to Matthew chapter 6. The last part of that chapter, Jesus talks about how you don't need to worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, all those sorts of things, because the Lord knows what you need. He knows before you even ask him. And if you'll seek first the kingdom, everything else will be added to you. 
we had it open there for a reason, and that is we didn't know how we were going to be able to pay our bills. We didn't know how we were going to get out of the ditch we were in. Have you ever been in that place where you're paying half your electric bill and half your water bill because you figure if I pay half, they probably won't turn it off and maybe I'll figure out how to catch up later? Have you ever been in a place like that? A place where as far as you can see, there's really no solution on the horizon and you're just, you're just at your place where you're saying, Lord, we need your help. We're sitting on the patio, and I read that passage, and Linda and I just prayed. We just prayed the promise. Lord, we're just trusting you. And the most amazing thing happened. It's amazing because I can't tell you what happened. And the reason I can't tell you what happened is because I don't even know what happened. We prayed, and we got through that day. And then we got through the next one, and we got through that week, and we managed to get through that month, and we just kept trusting God, and we got through the next month, and we got through the next one, and here I am today, fabulously wealthy. <laughs> no. no, I mean, it's like, I don't know how it happened, but what I do know is that God was good to his word. And this has happened to us in many different areas over the years. I mean, we are far from being paragons of faith, but we've learned a few things. We have definitely become believers. Our first impulse isn't to panic. Our first impulse is to believe. I mean, we can get really down and discouraged at times, but our first impulse is to believe because God has been so faithful so many times. Sometimes I talk to my daughters and I'll say, look, I know you're worried about this. You really don't need to worry. I want to take my brain and just kind of put it in them, or at least the experiences that's stored in my brain and put it in their minds so that they can see what I see. But they're only going to see it as they step out in faith time and again and find out the limb won't break beneath them. You need to know that. The promises of God truly are reliable. You'll learn it as you walk it out. And you don't need a sign. You don't need a religious experience to tell you that God is at work. You simply take the raw word of God and hold to it. What you'll discover is that God is not predictable, but he is faithful and trustworthy. He's not predictable in that you don't know exactly how he's going to answer his, your prayers. You don't know how he's going to fulfill his promise. You can't plot it out on a calendar. You might have all kinds of hopes, but God might not do it your way. He's not predictable, but he is reliable, which is why, as I say, you don't need a sign. You don't need anything like that. Consider, consider Elijah. He's running for his life from Jezebel. He is depressed. He is discouraged. He goes onto the mountain in order to seek God, and God says that I'm about to pass by. So Elijah knows he's going to have an experience of God. And the wind kicks up. It's a furious wind that actually cracks rocks. Surely God is in the wind. But the Bible says the Lord was not in the wind. And then there's an earthquake and the mountain shakes. But the Bible says the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then there was a fire that spreads and consumes everything. 
before Elijah, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then the Bible says there was the sound of sheer silence. Now, what is the sound of sheer silence? I know what the sound of silence is. That's, an Ar- that's a Garfunkel and, you know, Simon Garfunkel song. I got all that. But what's the sound of sheer silence? The Hebrew's enigmatic. Nobody knows quite how to translate. Some of your translations will say something like um, the, the sound of a gentle breeze. Some will say the sound of a soft whisper. King James famously translated it, a still, small voice. Nobody knows exactly how to translate it, but the sense seems to be there's something imperceptible or nearly imperceptible. And when that happened, Elijah covered his face because God had drawn near. You can have all kinds of display But that doesn't mean God is near. And if you have nothing but the word of God, God is still near. It's the word that is the basis of our faith. That's what this passage teaches us. So this man moves from a place of really, really just desperate hope, the kind of hope that means he's going to turn to Jesus no matter how humbling it might be for him. He's going to do it, and he's going to seek him, and he's going to keep pressing his claim. That's good. But then he faces that moment when he has to decide, will I believe the word, the promise, or not? And he made the decision. He believed it, and his faith was confirmed, and it turned him into a believer. Every one of us needs to be a believer If you're a Christian, you're a believer, but I mean something a little differently than that. I mean a Christian who believes down deep in their bones that they can trust the promise of God. That's what this passage calls us to, that kind of faith. But it's on his word, his reliable word. He's not predictable, but he's faithful. Now, if you have not yet met Jesus Christ, not just as a historical figure, but as your Savior, as your Lord, you can meet him as that today. It does take faith, but truthfully, if you'll just come with a desperate hope and press your claim upon Christ, that's enough faith for him to go to work in your life. If you'll come to Christ and you will acknowledge your sin, and by that I mean you'll acknowledge that you've gone your own way, you've you've turned away from God, you'll acknowledge that, ask for forgiveness, and ask him to come into your life, you'll not only receive forgiveness, you'll receive new life. It's not like every problem will be gone instantly, but it'll be a dramatic change. Jesus himself compared it to a new birth. You will be born again. You can pray that as we pray in just a moment. No one has to hear you. God will hear you if you come to him with a sincere heart. And when we close the service, I'm going to be here in the front. And if you do pray to receive Christ, I'm asking you to come forward because I'd like to talk with you about that. I'd like to talk with you about next steps.
if, if in spite of the encouragement I'm giving to you now, you're not quite sure you need to talk a bit more about it, I'd like you to come as well because I'd like to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. But all of us need to pray because all of us need to be believers, believers in the Word of God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to atone for our sins, but also, Lord, to give us life and to give us what we need, the strength we need, the the, the guidance we need, Lord, the, even the miracles we need to be able to serve you, to persist in our faith, Lord, through this life and into eternal life. We pray, God, that you would work in our lives in that way, work in our lives now, Lord. Some of us are struggling. Lord, some of us are struggling with doubt and troubled hearts, burdened hearts. Would you help each one of us who is struggling, Lord, to lay it down, to trust in you, to trust in your promises, to count you faithful. And Lord, may you by your spirit draw everyone who is, who's hungry to meet you as Savior. May you draw them in. May you grant them faith. May you change their hearts even now. We pray it in Christ's name.